Amen. So uh, I know we have a few visitors here. I'm not going to spend our time doing much of a review of last week, so I'll just kind of point you in the direction of uh, our sermon audio online. Uh, but I will briefly say a few things to just help us get oriented back in the text. You know, last week we considered how we are to love one another in the truth. And we really saw how that love one another was grounded in the fact that the truth abides in us and it will be in us forever. That's the promise to us. And because of that, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son is with us in truth and in love And then we looked at how the Father's will is that we believe in His Son, the one whom He sent, and we love one another. We saw how love is to walk in obedience to His commands and how His command is to walk in love. And so we looked at what Jesus said about love and the law and then kind of finished towards the end there looking at what the Scripture reveals to us about how to love one another. And so uh, we concluded our time uh, there in the first six verses of Second John. And that gets us up to verse 7. Uh, but I will read the whole thing for us uh, this morning. And so we'll give our attention now to uh, the letter of Second John. This is the perfect, breathed word of God. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching of uh, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him in your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and to talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of God. It's the letter of the Apostle John. And so our time together, I want us to walk through these verses 7 through 13. And I have five truths along the way uh, to meditate upon from the text. And the, you know, we'll look at verses 7, 8, and 9. And then I have four of those truths to meditate upon back to back to back. And then we'll kind of finish with uh, 10 through 13 there and then consider a last uh, meditation, last truth to meditate upon. And so if you're with me, uh, last week was uh, love one another and this week is abide in the truth. And specifically, John is talking about discerning the truth 
and abiding in it. Discerning the truth and abiding in it. And so put your eyes with me on verse number 7. So John says, For many deceivers has gone out, have gone out. So we're, we're auto- we automatically remember. He says, look, this is the truth. This is the truth, right? That we believe in the Lord Jesus and we walk in love. And the world does not force you towards the truth. The devil and the principalities of the air, there is so much against us that takes us away from the truth. You don't naturally, passively just fall into this, right? If we just let ourselves go, we will not drift towards the truth. And so what he's saying is, this is the truth. Remember, this is the truth. Walk in it because there are many deceivers out there. Because there are many deceivers. Many people want to pull you, mainly Satan, the Antichrist, right? Pulling you away from the truth. And so, uh, we can take from this that we give ourselves to the truth. And how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, we give ourselves, we saw, to one another in the life of the church. We submit ourselves to the gifts that God has given to the church, His Word and His sacraments. Because if we don't do this, brothers and sisters, we will have a very, 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 very dim light in a very, very, very dark world without the church, without the Word, without the sacraments. And so uh, it's no shock. I want to use this example in Colossians. So of course we're submitting ourselves to the church, the ordinary means, but he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is our life together. This is our life together. And so we're hoping only in Christ Jesus, right? For righteousness and for forgiveness. And we're loving one another because this is not Lone Ranger Christianity. This is not proof to God that you can do it on your own. He didn't save you for that purpose. He saved you to the body of Christ. And so as a part of the body of Christ, you're responsible to love one another, to protect one another, to care for one another, to live that way that we saw in Colossians together. And brothers and sisters, that is freedom. We're no longer slaves to darkness and selfishness, but you have a bigger reason to live. You have a a bigger truth to actually stand on a solid rock to love one another uh, on. And so, looking back to verse 7 here, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ Jesus in the flesh. Um, and, And it's like they've gone out. We read 1 John, they went out from within the church. So it's almost like they, they went out as missionaries from the church, but not with the truth. They went out with the false truth. They left the church because they were not of it. But they had gone out uh, and were not confessing Christ in the flesh. Here it seems that these aren't just people, brothers and sisters in the church, that left the faith. These are teachers who are, who are peddling Christ Jesus falsely for their own gain, and they're leading people to hell. They're deceivers. They're the Antichrist, is what he's saying. So they've gone out into the world, uh, and we know just from later in this verse that they're going to try to come to this church and, and, and use your hospitality. They're going to try to be invited into your home and to your fellowship. So this is why we know that this isn't just brothers and sisters. These are teachers who are peddling Christ Jesus falsely for selfish, devilish way, uh, reasons. Okay, So they're deceivers, right? They're not, they're not just like, hey, here's another way of looking at the faith, or here's, a, here's kind of another perspective that you might consider. Uh, no, he says that these people are the Antichrist. Not to consider these, don't even greet these people. This is how horrible this is. 
they, they say that they're going to lead you into deeper truth. You see in um, verse 9, you can just put your eyes in real, real briefly, he says, if you go on ahead and you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, so these people are saying, we've got to go past this, this Christ Messiah stuff to the deeper truth. And uh, the irony is that past that is hell. Past that is judgment. There is nothing past Christ in our place. That's the irony here. Let me take you into deeper truth. There is nothing deeper. We stay here in the word that gives us Christ in the flesh for us. And so it's actually the opposite of love, these false teachers. It's actually the opposite of love, what they're doing, because they're leading people to hell. And so we're going to come back in just a moment, like I said, after we get through verse 9, and consider why it's so important that we confess Jesus being the Christ in the flesh. Okay, so we're going to come back to that. So putting our eyes on verse 8, John says, uh, okay, so here's the truth. Now love one another because uh, there's many who are trying to take us away from the truth. So discern, watch for yourselves. It's like using your eyes to see what's in front of you. What are you taking in? What are you believing? What are these people saying? Is it the truth or is it not? So this, this, this call for discernment. And here I'm sure you have a note in your Bible as well that uh, on the word we, uh, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but that you gain a full reward. And I, I do believe that it's correct. We is the correct, uh, correct reading of this verse. And the reason I say that is uh, it kind of echoes the beginning of John chapter 1, uh, where he finishes kind of like that introduction. And he says that, and we're writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Right, so the apostles' ministry was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but to see people trust in Christ and therefore gain eternal life, gain a place in the new heavens and the new earth, gain a place in the bodies of in the body of Christ. So, for the apostles, what is the joy that they're working for? What is the reward that they're working for? They're laboring to to not to create the body of Christ through the word of Christ. So they're laboring the word of Christ so that the body of Christ could be formed as people hear and believe and attain eternal life. So this reward is specifically talking about eternal life, what Christ has earned for us. Uh, because at the end of the day, when it comes to the reward that we have, we either have a full reward or we have no reward. We have a full reward or no reward. And so Putting our eyes on verse 9, we'll finish up these, these first three verses. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So this is another reason why I would argue that what's, what we're talking about here is not, hey, you've done good works for which you're going to be rewarded for. If you leave Christ, it doesn't matter what you've done. There is no reward. There's not a half reward. In Christ Jesus, you get a full reward for those works but not only eternal life, but even for the works which he has predestined for you to walk in. Okay, so this isn't like, ah, you, you can, you know, you start with Christ and you kind of went to this false teaching and you're still going to get some of those things you did while you believe the truth. That's not it. Because if you leave Christ, you never had him in the first place. So there is no half reward. But also, uh, the, the point that verse 9 is giving us is, I think it, it kind of proves that because he says this, if you don't have Christ, you don't have God. If you don't have Christ, you don't have God. That's what he's saying here. If you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, and again, I'll point us back to what we considered last week as the teaching of Christ. We went through a long list of how John described the truth. Uh, and we, we saw, in summary, that it's trust in the Lord Jesus alone 
love one another. And how actually because of that truth that we trust in Christ, we will love one another. We will love one another. And so that's kind of uh, the first uh, three verses there. And like I said, uh, the irony there that everyone who goes on ahead past Christ, it's important that we kind of nail that in our hearts. We don't go past who he is and what he has done for us. And so number one, um, I'm sure... Even though I gave you my take on verse 8, I'm sure you're kind of like, but it sounds like you can lose your salvation. Well, number one, uh, I, I disagree with that. I'm going to say that our first truth is that John is giving a warning. John is giving a warning. He's not teaching works-based salvation. He's giving a warning. And here's what he's saying. If you do not cling to Christ, you do not have God in the first place. That's verse 9. If you don't cling to Christ, you don't have God in the first place. First John chapter 2 Verse 19 says that they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us because the truth is in us and it will be with us forever. It will be with us forever. He doesn't lose his own. The father doesn't lose his own. Now, uh, consider with me Hebrews 6, specifically verse 4, right? It's impossible to restore those who've been once enlightened who've tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the goodness of the word, right? But they, they, they can't be repented uh, back into Christ. Well, here's the thing. They've experienced probably the waters of baptism. They've probably experienced the, the heavenly taste, the gift of the Lord's table in the church. They've, they've probably sat under the word in the church. They, they lived life in the love of the fellowship of the saints in the church. But they fell away because they did not believe. It wasn't that they had Christ and then lost him or, the, or Christ let them go. They did not have him. So the bottom line here is that John is warning them this. If you don't have Christ, you don't have God. He's telling them don't be led astray. Do not be led astray. Because if you leave Christ, you didn't have God. That's what he's saying. But you do have Christ. And that's where the encouraging part of, if you, if you want, you know, you read the letter of 1 John, and the whole point is he's not trying to, to scape out those who don't believe. He's assuring the believers, hey, you do believe the truth. I'm writing these things because you have Christ. I'm writing these things because you have overcome the world. And the warning is, if you don't have Christ, in whom we overcome the world, you don't have God. So what, how does that warning work? Don't believe the false teachers if they don't bring Christ in the flesh for you. Because we don't leave that. If they have anything other than that, you don't even greet these people. It's that serious because they're leading people astray. Imagine children uh, who are part of families that would host these false teachers. And they're, they're in the living room and these false teachers are, are teaching something other than Christ in the flesh living for you and dying for you. I mean, think about these children who are led astray. Mom and dad aren't, aren't the smartest in the class, and they're now wondering all this stuff. I mean, just think about the chaos. We don't even greet these people uh, who, who bring these false teachings, because, of course, it was a different way of life uh, then. So, in, in regards to losing your salvation, what about this once saved, always saved? Look, you're not saved if you don't trust Christ. That's the thing. And if you trust Christ, you have the truth in you and it abides in you forever. Right? 
So his whole point is, if you're relying on something else other than Christ, if you're relying on going past Christ into something deeper, into something more passionate, into some extra knowledge, you're wrong. You've left the truth. You've actually left the truth for a lie. And we finish uh, this little meditation up with this. Here's the good news about the fact that if we don't have Christ, we don't have God. Christ protects those who belong to Him. Christ protects those who belong to Him. John 10, He says that I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Lord Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. I and the Father are one. We have a strong Savior, and when we're in Him, done deal. He has us. The Father will keep us kept in the Son by the Spirit. This is why not only do we have a, a strong Savior who, who keeps us, but we've been given the Holy Spirit who leads us in all truth. John 15 I know we looked at some of this uh, last week, but it's, it's important to, to see here. John 15, verse 26, he says, uh, the Lord Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Later on, he says, he will glorify me, that Spirit will. And he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. And so when that Spirit comes to seal us. Ephesians says what? In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So we're sealed with the Spirit. And what does He do? He takes all that is Christ and assures us of it. He is who He says He is. That's good news for us. The Father keeps His children in the Son through the Spirit. And so number two, a truth to meditate upon in these three verses is, uh, we've kind of said it over and over, you only have God through Jesus Christ. You only have God through Jesus Christ. So we're making our way here. Hopefully this is uh, kind of stacking up on each other. Because look, these false teachers are promoting a special knowledge, right? I've said we've had to go past Christ. And here's the, here's the thing. I agree, you're going to need to know some things uh, if you want God. The Bible agrees. The Bible tells us, the testimony is that we're going to need to know some things if we want God. You're going to need to know the law and do it. You will need to know what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, and what is excellent, and you will need to do it. And you will need to do it with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, with the love of God at the core of who you are. And you must delight in that law always, day and night. And you're going to need to live according to it without sin. You know that? Okay. And an evil must never dwell in your heart, ever. Ever. Not even the, the thought of doing something evil can, can pop into your heart if you want God. Pride must never enter your mind a day in your life, in the past or in the future. You must always hate evil. And in every thought in your head, every word that rolls off your tongue 
must never, ever, ever have been or will be slanderous toward your neighbor. Now, if you know this and you do this, you can have God. And none of us are encouraged because none of us have done that. And if you don't know this and do this, we get judgment, what we've rightly deserved. And here's the thing. Uh, none of us actually want to do any of that in our flesh. We actually choose futility and foolishness because we're sinful. And as we know, breaking His law means death. It means judgment. And we're deserving of that wrath of God for all eternity. But here's, here's the good news, brothers and sisters. In steps Jesus. And number three, the truth number three, Jesus is God in the flesh, fulfilling the law and taking God's wrath for sinners. Jesus is God in the flesh. Why are they a false teachers? Because they're denying Christ in the flesh. And so we're going to kind of dive into a hole that will be uh, pretty hefty for me to preach and it'll be pretty hefty for all of us to understand. But it's important for us to wrestle with the fact that God is truly human and truly divine. And, and this isn't this isn't like a seminary lecture class. This is important because I want to remind us that at, you know, the Apostles' Creed, the, the 6th, 7th century, right, the church is wrestling with what, what do we believe? Right, then we get you know, uh, 321, 25, somewhere in there, and then 381 is the Nicene Creed. And then they further explain it to, to say, okay, here's what we mean by the Trinity. Here's what we believe about God the Son, or God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then in 451 is the Chalcedonian definition of faith, where they almost go through the Nicene Creed in some way and say, here's what we mean when we say this. Here's what we mean when we say this. And they get to that, the part about God the Son being truly human and truly divine. And this is 450 years after the death of Christ. I mean, that's, that's not a long time considering like people are wrestling with these truths because it's important to know why does it matter if he was human or not, right? Of course, there's all these deceivers, all these false teachings. And so here's what that Chalcedonian definition says. I want to give us two things from that definition to help us understand. It says that Christ Jesus was truly God and truly man of a rational soul and body, consubstantial, meaning one substance and one essence with the Father as regards to his divinity. And he's the same, concept, same substance and essence when it regards his humanity. He was like us in all respects, but without sin. Second uh, sentence I thought was really good is, the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, acknowledged in two natures which undergo no confusion, no change, no division, no separation, and at no point was different, no point uh was the difference between the two natures taken away. So here's the thing. When it comes to God the Son, the eternal glory image of the Father, right, coming down in, in uh, being born of a virgin, there was no confusion with His divine nature when He put on flesh and, and uh, flesh and blood. There was no confusion. It wasn't like mixing blue and red and getting purple, right? It wasn't a third thing. It was, they didn't mix together to make a third thing. There was no change. The, his divine essence wasn't changed in any way. Uh, he, had, he, he, he remained what he had always been for all eternity. Christ Jesus, the God the Son. There was no division. So there wasn't like half God and half human to make one human. 
right? And there was no separation. It wasn't a partnership like, okay, like the human and the divine are now partnering together to make two things in one person. No, 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 no. It was a complete union, truly God, truly man, Jesus Christ. So let me be brief real quick. Let's dive into his divinity. Well, he was the divine son, right? Before time began, the father and the son agreed. You would take on flesh and blood and you would save my people. Before anything ever existed, this is in the mind of God. The Lord Jesus saving his people by becoming like them. In his divinity, Christ was perfect because he was God. There's only one perfect perfect being. There's only been one perfect human, and that's because he was God. He was divine because only God could provide a sacrifice of infinite redemptive value and then provide people with perfect obedience to the law of God. He was divine because only God could take the eternal wrath of God in the place of others and then render them free and then resurrect from the dead never to die again. But he's also human. And I really want to dive into this, so so hang on with me. Since man sinned, it was necessary that the penalty of sin be taken by a man. So only a human represents humans. Only a man must atone for his own sin, right? A man must atone for his own sin if he's imperfect. He can't atone for other people's sins if he is imperfect. And so Jesus was human so that he could represent humans. And so not only that, but this penalty, right, for breaking the law, this penalty involved the suffering of the body and the soul, which only human beings can suffer. The penalty for humans breaking the law, only a human can take that penalty because it's blood and it's flesh, it's body and soul suffering. And therefore, Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and in blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The Lord Jesus, God the Son, put on a human body and a human nature. Truly God and truly man. In his human body and his soul, he had all the properties of of humanity. And he was liable to all of the frailties and the infirmities that we face because of the fall. Right? He could experience the suffering that we experience in a fallen world. He can suffer as we suffer. He's tempted as we are tempted. He had a body and he had a nature like ours. But here's the thing. He never sinned because he did not inherit Adam's sin. This is the importance of his uh, miraculous conception in the, the Virgin Mary, right? He wasn't corrupt like us. We are inclined toward evil. Jesus was never tempted in himself because his heart was never inclined towards evil. He didn't, he didn't have a fallen nature like ours. He had a nature like ours. Because biblically, it's important that we understand that sin was always passed down from the Father. And so he was what? Conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. And he was born under the law so that he could redeem those who are under the law. Hebrews 3.15. So not only does he take on human flesh so that he could represent humans, but he had to be a human to be our high priest. 
For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. Uh, he, he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he was tempted as we are, but he was sinless. He was the sinless Lamb of God, so that we could be, as Peter says, ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like the Lamb without blemish or spot. Going back to Hebrews 7, it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, because he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then those for his people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So as God in the flesh, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the priest who presents us blameless before God. You see, under the Old Covenant, the Levitical priests offer sacrifices to their own sins so that once a year they could go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices for all of Israel's sins. But in this way, yes, they mediated between God and between Israel under the Old Covenant. Uh, but uh, these sacrifices for sins only reminded them of sins. It couldn't take away the guilt of the sins. It could not forgive it covered, right, so that there was a mediation. But these things were a type. They were a shadow of a better thing to come. That's why Jesus came, and Hebrews says that he is the mediator of a new and a better covenant. The blood of bulls and goats only reminded people of their sins. It couldn't forgive. It couldn't take away. And not only that, but those priests died because they were finite mortals. As our priest, Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. And so as a high priest in flesh and blood beside the Father right now, He mediates for us forever. Forever. And so by a single sacrifice, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected for all time. Not just because He took the wrath for sin, though, brothers and sisters. It's not just that he took the punishment that we just talked about we deserved, but he actually offered perfect obedience to the law in our place. You see, his priestly mediation is not just a sacrificial death, but it begins first and foremost with his life of suffering in obedience here on earth, according to all of the Father's will. He grew in, in wisdom and in stature as a man, Luke 2. He was perfected through suffering, as a man, Hebrews 2 in, in chapter 5. He was obedient to the law as a man. And in a fallen world where everything is bent against God's word, being righteous is not easy. Being righteous is not easy. And so in humanity, Christ Jesus liable to all of the corruption of the world remained perfect. Against all the temptations that came upon him, he never sinned. He remained sinless. And not only was he perfected through suffering, being obedient not to sin, he fulfilled the law entirely. And that's important that we understand that his priestly role begins in his life because Romans 1 tells us that we were created to honor God and to live before him with thanksgiving. But instead of enjoying this happy relationship with God Almighty, with our Creator, we chose, Romans 1 tells us, futility and foolishness. 
And so it's no coincidence that you can group the sacrifices that Israel had to make under the Levitical priesthood. You could, you could group them into two things. Thank offerings and guilt offerings. Thank offerings and guilt offerings. Jesus Christ lived in perfect thankfulness to the Father. He lived in perfect obedience, honoring His Father for us in His life. And then He laid down His life for a guilt offering for us. So His priestly role is a thank offering, a guilt offering. Psalm 15 says, after Psalm 15 describes who, will, who can descend the hill of the Lord, who can, who can look at Him and dwell in His tent. Nobody is what it says, unless you're perfect. And I just described to you one who was perfect and, and who was human, who was in our place. He descended that hill. He descended that hill, offered his own blood, his own living sacrifice and dying sacrifice, and then sat down beside the Father. And in Christ Jesus, our mediator, we descend that hill. We descend that hill and we have access to the Father. Endless access to the Father. No shame, no guilt, no fear. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. Read John 1. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus, He is the truth. And in Him, yes, we have access to that hill. And so if you lose that, if you lose what we just talked about, you go beyond Jesus into something false. Into something false. And that's why John is like, these people do not confess the Christ in the flesh. Because the Messiah came to save us. He's like, in, in 1 John, we, we've... Uh, We've seen Him. We've touched Him. We've heard Him concerning the Word of life. We saw Him. And then they go back and remember what He said. What, unless you eat my body, drink my blood, you don't have life. He is the true manna. He is the true Word that we receive and have life. What we just talked about is the reason that we have life. Because He is truly God, truly man, the mediator, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So our last meditation on these first three verses. Number four, if the world hates you, know that it hated Christ before it ever hated you. The world hates you, know that it hated Christ first. The same way Christ uh, lived the life of the cross, perfect obedience to the Father. He was the only perfect one to live, and what did the world do? What did his own people do? Killed him. He loved his enemies. He never persecuted those who hate him. To those who slapped him, he gave a second cheek. Yet the world killed him. And he was righteous. He was perfect. But that's because, again, we started off saying how the world wants a God, that, but not a righteous one. No, no sinful things. No Messiah that dies. That's why you can come saying that you're righteous. They killed him. And so we follow after him. And we have our own cross to bear. And here's the thing, just as Jesus was perfect and they killed him, we're being brought to life in him to live in that same freedom, to love our enemies, to not, not to persecute those who hate us, right? to give another cheek to those who slap us. We are, no matter who sins against who in this community, forgiveness and reconciliation, we're dedicated to it. The world hates that kind of stuff. The world screams toleration, but isn't so tolerant. We don't operate this way. 
Right? So Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And it's not just because we do follow after Christ in, in His love, right? In that endless, impossible mercy love. It's that we're of the truth and the world is against the truth. In and of itself, this corrupt world is against the truth. So just being in Christ, the world, the devil, the principalities of this air already hate us. But we're told, right, that we're to bear our cross. And here's the thing. The way that we do this is not in order to, to we, we don't like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey the law perfectly. I'm going to love my brothers and sisters so that God will love me and so that the world will hate me. That's, that's not it. It's just a warning. Hey, the world's going to hate you because you're of the truth. Because you confess that there actually is righteousness out there. And none of us, you're not, you're not running around saying that you're righteous. You're actually running around saying that nobody's righteous. The world hates that. We're saying that there is one who is the Lord, who is the King, whom all things were created through, for, and by Him, and He will reign eternally in, in, in eternity. We're saying that, but here's the thing. We're remembering our baptism, how in Christ Jesus we have died to the, to the law. The law, received its, the, the law gave its punishment. God gave the punishment the law required of sinners in Christ Jesus. We, in our baptism, represents how we have died with Him and now we're raised to walk in the newness of life. And just by the very fact of being in Christ, the world hates us. These false teachers, again, were peddling spirituality. right? God with no Jesus. God with no Christ in the flesh. And John is telling the saints, you can never, ever, ever, ever have God the Father without God the Son in flesh, in blood, living and dying in our place. This truth sets us free. This truth sets us free. And it's no, no coincidence that false religions and false teachers, what happens is they usually make us less sinful. They usually make humanity not all that bad. And so there really is no need for any God to die in our place. But there is absolutely no peace in that. The only peace that you can truly have is in Christ Jesus. And so... Uh, this is what we should take away. That, man, redemption began in the mind of God. And God the Son put on flesh in your place. And if He did that, if He did all of that, it wasn't so that you would trust in Him and then be lost. You are His. He is a mighty Savior. And He keeps His own. Man. So, we move on here to verse 10 through 13. And I'll ask you to put your eyes on verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't, don't even receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. In his wicked works. Now, the, in God's providence, Rome was becoming this great big empire, right? So they're building all of these roads. And so honestly, a lot of the ease of the gospel just going across uh, half of the inhabitable world or most of the inhabitable world was due to this giant empire building and maintaining these roads. Uh, so most often Christians are coming in for business or pastors are traveling to churches. I mean, there's a lot of this going on and where are you going to stay? There wasn't hotels. Innkeeping wasn't like a, a profession. Hospitality of being like a, a hotel, running a hotel or, or doing or an Airbnb or anything like that. That's not, 
popular, right? It's actually like, a, like oh, wow, you run a, an inn. You know, it's kind of like the lowest of the low stay of these places. So Christians are staying with other Christians, right? This is just how it happens. And you're, gonna, and you're just going to have people coming through and they're stopping in. That's just the way it works. Uh, and, and a part of being a believer and, and staying at my house and then we're going to church, you know, on the Lord's Day and we're eating together, doing this together, is like this is the fellowship, Right? There was the day set apart for worship, but there was life outside of that where this is the fellowship of the saints, right? When, you're go- when, when, when I'm, I'm going over to someone's house, you come over to my house, and we're, we're planning to sit down and sit at the piano and sing some psalms or look at First Peter or, or look at some scripture together or talk together, catch up on life. I don't want a non-believer there right now. I'm here to fellowship with my brother and sister. This is important stuff. Like, this, is, this is important to the body of Christ. There are other times, right, where I would invite a non-believing friend or a friend who's like disassociated with the church but says that they believe in Jesus, right? There are times that we would invite those people in and love them and live life with them. What John is saying here is you never, ever invite someone who's peddling Christ for his own gain and falsely, falsely teaching about Christ into your fellowship. You never bring them. You don't even greet them into the fellowship because you know that they're of the devil. They're of Satan. He's basically saying, don't facilitate falsehood into your fellowship. So discern for yourselves. If they come to the door and they don't confess Christ Jesus in the flesh, mm-mm, you're not teaching a single thing in this house. You're not coming, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is what John is saying. I think it's important that we, that we see it that way. Uh, and, you know, it sounds harsh, right, to our world, especially, you know, Asheville, South Asheville. It's like this, you know, be weird, all love, accept it all, yada, yada, yada. Uh, this is like, uh, but aren't, you know, I know that that's Asheville, so we're not just that. But even we just talked about how Christ is, is love your enemies. But now we're not even going to greet these. Look, this is not just an enemy who's treating you poorly. This is not just someone who you don't like or they're mean to you. This is the Antichrist. He says it's the Antichrist. It's a deceiver. Don't even greet these people. There's a difference, right? In, in a very deceptive, like someone who would come into this church and teach Christ in, in some false way, right? We would get him out of the fellowship. We would bar him from this table. Why? Well, because just like in parenting, right? If your kid is doing something that's going, that is not good and will, turn, will ruin them, what are you going to do? Is it loving to just let them keep doing it? Absolutely not. That would be irresponsible. That would be terrible parenting. That is not the loving thing to do. But what do you do? You discipline them so that they don't keep running into something that's going to ruin them. Maybe they don't understand it right then. It doesn't matter, right? You're doing what's right for your children. So love actually works its way in discipline. Discipline is a result of love. That that we will never be lost by God because what? He's a loving Father who disciplines us. And so the, the writer in Hebrews later after that chapter 6 piece does say, so bear up. Bear up your weak knees and, your, and, and get your hands ready for the discipline of God because He's going to keep us. He will not let us stay in error. And we keep each other. And so part of the ways that we bear up under the discipline of the Lord and we keep each other is we don't let falsehood run around this church uh, we don't let false teaching run around this church, right? And, and we're, we're going to protect each other if we run off into error. Hey, brother, that's, that's not right. You know, we're going we're gonna to treat each other this way. So that's the key there is 
Why it's so harsh is because we don't want to facilitate falsehood. That's not just a different perspective. It's the Antichrist. Remember that. Uh, Moving on here to finish our time, the last two verses. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Um, This is just beautiful, right? It's like he's probably got a piece of papyrus, probably filled that thing up, and it's like, I'm done. I I just want to come see you because I got more to say. And I, in in like, um, what's the reference? Uh, I guess I didn't put it down here, but it's in Jeremiah and in Numbers, they use the term mouth to mouth. Like, I want to see you mouth to mouth. I want you to talk to me. I want to talk to you. I want us to, like, bring it in and let's share Let's share these moments together. It's kind of this face-to-face so that my joy can be complete. I want to see you worship the Lord. I want to see you talk about the Lord Jesus. I want, to, I want us to love each other with our, with our mouths and our actions and in our, our, our facial expressions, our tones. Like, this is just this thing that we have together. Uh, this, is, this is the point that I think we need to understand here. Our last thing I'll say before we end our, our on, on verse 13, uh, children of your elect sister greet you. John's at another fellowship. He's at another church and he's saying, hey, this church, all the saints greet you. That's, that's what's going on there. Uh, so our last meditation. So number five, we are brothers and sisters only in and through Jesus Christ and we need each other. We're only brothers and sisters in and through Jesus Christ and we need each other. The only way that we are family is in and through Christ Jesus. And the only way that you receive what I'm saying here, proclaiming here from the Word of God, is because we are in Christ Jesus. It makes sense. We have ears to hear, eyes to see it. We have hearts to receive it because the Lord has been generous in giving us faith. And so one of the greatest joys I want to remind us of is that one of the greatest joys in being united to Christ here on earth is being a part of the body of Christ, the physical body of Christ here on earth. In this community, you know, we have brothers and sisters in the life that we have together. This is the roses and the lilies of Christian life. It is what we do together. It's the fellowship we have with one another in Christ Jesus. This is it. This is the pinnacle of life here on earth. What Not only what we do at the church, but how we live our lives together. And so um, I want to remind us that Again, that it's the grace of God that we can either get, that we can even gather visibly on this earth right now in America. It's the grace of God that we gather here with no worries. Right? Imagine how much we take for granted the ability that we have to gather with one another with no fear of the government, with no fear of some ideology or terrorist group. We have no fear of that. So as you leave here today, it's like think about your life. Do you take advantage? of the fact that the point of life is what we have with one another. And, and, and the thing is, we all kind of feel a little burdened by that because you're like, I'm so busy. I know a lot of us are busy. And here's the thing. We've got to change our lives. We've got to slow down. And we've got to make a priority for each other. Each other, we have to prioritize each other. You know, that's a, that's a call on myself. as a call on us. It's what the Lord is calling us to, to live this way together, to protect one another and so um, I was reading through Life Together, I'll finish with a few comments here, uh, Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a martyr uh, at the time of the Nazis and the, the German regime. And um, he writes some very sweet things. And in Life Together, he says, the goal of Christian community 
is that we meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. We meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. Um, and the fellowship is founded solely upon Christ Jesus and His alien righteousness. So here's, here's my summary. God's Word in Christ Jesus pronounces us guilty even when we do not feel guilty. But it also pronounces us not guilty and righteous even when we don't feel righteous. And so God has designed this community in such a way that we would seek and find His living words from the mouth of our brothers and sisters. He's designed this community in such a way that we would seek out His living word from the mouths of our brothers and sisters. This is why we're so often discouraged when we're in isolation. We might even deceive ourselves against the truth. You can, you can be alone and read the Scriptures, right? Uh, I'm not talking about a special occasion, you know, a missionary in prison or, or people who are in underground churches and, and it, they just have a few moments with the Scriptures. The Lord gives special grace, right? But in our moments, there is no reason that we should isolate ourselves and never be together and then use the excuse, well, I was reading my Bible, but I wasn't loving my brothers and sisters. I was actually avoiding them. Here's the thing. When we do that, we can often convince ourselves uh, against the truth. It doesn't seem so strong. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. It's like in our own hearts, sometimes Christ seems weak. And so we need a bearer and a proclaimer in our brother and sister to keep us fixed and sure on Christ Jesus because it seems like Christ is strong coming from them. We need each other. God has designed us to, to, to be in Christ and to love one another. We need to live this way. Uh, and so as we come to the table, you know, receiving Christ spiritually, feasting on all that we talked about today and His divinity and humanity. And I feel a bit taxed too because it was kind of teachy, but I hope we leave here today getting a, a huge picture of what Christ has done for us. And at the very least, it's like, Trust Him. Trust Him. Don't trust yourself. And sometimes you just need to go to somebody's house and have them say good things to you. Stop trusting yourself in this life. Let's pray together.